Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay. All right, guys. So I have with me Arvin Villapando. Did I say that right? Hey, that's pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. It's kind of good. Kind of good. All right. <laughs> it's not bad. It's, I, I mean, uh, you know, there's there's like accents, but it's it's good, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. Tanner Kalstrom yeah. with um, and is it Game Textures still? Yeah, GameTextures.com. Yep, that's what right. we're called. Okay, great. And you, yeah. how long have you guys been doing that? Uh, opened up our doors in 2012 yeah. after a solid 12 month grind fest. To well, build a website, learn how to program, learn how to do. Oh my god! Build a pipeline and then build. I think our. I was showing Arvin this this picture I took the other day. Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, of a whiteboard that, that yeah. I, it's just like a photo of a whiteboard at the end of 2012 that had my business model on it. That I, you know, I, I sat down and took a picture of it just to validate. And I think my initial goal was to make like a hundred materials uh-huh. and try to build a website with it. And we ended up launching with like 900. That we built over 12 months. Just myself and one other artist. Yeah. All in the meantime of like you know building a website and trying to figure out exactly what the heck we were doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, was yeah, it materials so, or photo reference or what was the actual product at that point? It was both. The whole thing started when it's kind of. I mean, it's actually kind of a funny story. With that yeah. is, uh, I had just been through like a horrible breakup, and I met this girl at a bar, and she was like, "What do you do?" And I was like, "I own a texture company." And like at this point, it was just like, it was just a thought in my head. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll start this someday. Maybe that'll work. And uh, turns out I really liked her and she really liked me. And I really didn't want to look like a liar. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I, I really didn't want to look like a liar to her. So I made a commitment one night at some random, I don't know, drinking thing in Seattle. And, you know, woke up the next day and just started grinding on it. Uh, yeah, and I I didn't look like a liar to her. Is the good news? She we ended up getting married, so it's it all it all ended up working out okay. As a, a solid love story based around a <laughs> little little white lie that I may have told. Yeah, and a whole lot of drinks. Uh, a couple of drinks, a couple a couple of beers. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that is so yeah. awesome. So if I remember right, because I remember seeing the site when it came up, like it was a ton of textures, or am I remembering something wrong? No, that's right. It was uh, we started out as textures. Um, I was just really frustrated. I had been using whatever Google images to find yeah. textures and turn them into, you know, I mean, you remember how it was totally. back then. So to build a texture, it was like a three, four hour commitment sometimes. And it was just really frustrating and annoying. Mm-hmm. And I thought that there had to be a much better way. Yeah, so it was actually, I mean, even from the start, because I remembered actually I jumped on and, and tried them out when they were doing the Tornado Twins. Mm-hmm. They, they had the Tornado Twins giveaway. They were like, oh, build a game in three months or whatever. And yeah. I remembered I grabbed some and I was like, wow, these are really cool because they had the normal maps. They had the, you know, gloss and spec. And I was like, wow, this is kind of nice to be able to just essentially grab a, a stack of textures, some, um, you know, essentially a fully built material and just slap it onto a surface. Mm-hmm. So. It was really funny, though. I mean, the whole thing seemed crazy to me, especially because back then there was not tools for what we were doing. We were using essentially Crazy Bump and the NVIDIA filter, the NVIDIA normal map filter, mm-hmm. and trying to learn as we went. There was no tools for creating a normal map. There was no real great way to visualize what a material even looked like. In 3D, right. Right. Yeah. So we would essentially build these out and test them in 
Unreal development in UDK and hope they worked, right? And there was this huge iteration process and tons of textures and tons of saving and checking and projects. And it was really a lot of work to build a material back then in a mm. way that was in a way where, you know, you could be, you could guarantee that it was realistic and that it had the correct texture maps, right? Yeah. And then this is, I mean, this is even before people were using like height maps and gloss maps. So we were doing that stuff as well. And that was really one of the big differences is is that most people were just making like specularity and a base color Mm -hmm. or a diffuse map and a normal map if they even bothered with a normal map at that point. So Right, instead of just putting the diffuse uh, in there. Yeah, yeah. And and a lot of times it was just the diffuse, right? Especially in those old UDK games. Like most of them were probably just diffuse only. So we were really trying to to battle into this this niche that I hoped might become a reality. And a lot of it is just us getting lucky in in a lot of ways. You know, we put in the work and the timing was there. Yeah. Uh, So it started out as as, as us hating building textures, which ended up becoming our full time job was building textures. Uh, I love that because that's so that that happens in business all the time. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. you don't realize you're like, hey, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna do this thing, so I don't have to work anymore. You start a business, next thing you know, you're working the whole time, right? Yeah, right. And and again, like I said, I mentioned before that it was a product of timing. So I mentioned also that I I had started this because of a horrible breakup in my life, and mm-hmm. which is fine. Like I, I have no ill whatever, but I, I moved to Seattle essentially, and. Right as I moved to Seattle, the next day, Microsoft announced that they were laying off like 3,200 game developers in Seattle. So I, moved, I, qu- I quit my job at Lego, where I was doing like video game work on all the Lego games. Yeah. Uh, quit my job at Lego, moved to Seattle. I was like, man, the industry is going to be awesome in Seattle when I get there. And not kidding. Next day, Microsoft lays off almost their entire game development system mm-hmm. ecosystem really and mm-hmm. obviously there was no jobs all of a sudden because there was there's people with far more experience and far more talent far more connections yeah building building games and acquiring for all of these jobs so so you started your own thing product, then, huh? yeah it's a product of uh yeah. of just being stubborn i suppose and yeah and not really wanting to be unemployed I, I did a brief stint at starbucks here in seattle yeah in the time so i you know ran out of money so i was working i was working these like 4 a.m. morning shifts because the new guy at Starbucks works the 4 a.m. morning shifts and people were yelling at me and you know people were getting so upset over their coffee and I was I was the worst barista of all time <laughs> like, like like by a wide margin I'm just like I'm not daydreaming I'm not I'm not even present um you know I get woke from my daydream by some person at 4 a.m. yelling at me that I messed up their drink and I was just kind of miserable so you know all of those things combined and you start a company and Get lucky and things go your way. You know, I think it's sucking at things is underrated. There's just some things you should really suck at. Otherwise, you're just going to end up doing them. Oh, man. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we suck at everything, really. Like, the product of game textures is a matter of sheer willpower. Because the reality is, and Arvin can attest to this, is that we're learning every single day as we go, you know? Yeah, fail fast, right? Fail That's fast, kind of been, yeah. It's yeah, been our... You know. Know. And then you learn, right? You fail, yeah. you learn, and then you try something else. Yeah. Don't be scared, Jan. It's actually, it's really rewarding. And it's easier than ever, thanks to a number of things. Technology being part of it, and the other part of it being that, I'm not sure if you're in the US, Jan. He's in Europe. In Europe. Well, the economy is really positioned towards small business right now. Even in Europe, there's so many systems that work in your advantage. Yeah, Germany, right? There's so many systems that work to your advantage for, for business ownership. 
and there's so many tools. You don't have to handle 90% of the tedium that was there in 2010, 2011. In a lot of ways, like there's you're uh, you're back end. Kind of Oh God, yeah. Let's let's talk about payroll and all that stuff later. But um, yeah, yeah, your, sure. your back end has got to be way different for the site, or are you still you? What do you guys use for an infrastructure? Do you custom code or? You know, that's a funny thing. I was just about to get into that. So right now we're actually, we're, I came in as a uh, texture artist. Yeah. And from a texture artist, I've shifted to <laughs> customer support. Yeah. Custom, yeah. Yeah. It was like, I came in as a texture artist slash customer support. And from there, I shifted to some business dev stuff. And eventually now my main thing is I'm, I develop our pipeline, right? Mm-hmm. I'm in charge of our, our pipeline thing. You know, going back to the idea of, Things being easier now than ever. That's kind of one of the nice things is I came in, my only background in coding was I took two C classes in high school. And when I got in, I was like, well, we needed some tools to automate some of our systems and essentially manage the files. Yeah. And I was like, well, I took two C classes in high school. I can see what I can come up with. And uh, so I took about, I don't know, just a month putting some random stuff together. And, uh, and it worked, you know, it worked. And we were like, let's make this so that we never have to write this thing again. It'll last forever. And lo and behold, now I'm building a new thing for us. That was like maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing is now the tools make those that, I mean, so accessible. There's so much accessibility to it. So, so as far as what we use to manage, so the website has its own system, but mm-hmm. we have our own system for managing stuff locally. Okay. Um, so we're still in the middle of it. We've got a kind of new website that we're working on right now for our stuff. But essentially, I mean, this is our, our management system mm. where we can browse all of our textures locally. We yep. can uh, switch over. We've got some hacked systems right now. Because we're essentially, we're trying to translate all of our old, you know, stuff all the way from back in 2012. And we're trying to make it relevant. So we've created some different systems where they mix and match with substances. So there's essentially like a bitmap with layered substances on it that we're we're kind of building. So basically right now we have, you know, these these are the oldest sets and these are the second sets. As you go along, you know, you change your processes and unless you have a system to really manage it, there's kind of a million different ways that everybody does it. You know, you can pick a material and essentially right now we can run various commands through it. So this would be like turning it into an SPSAR and rendering out 4K images. We have an up-res command, so everything we built was formerly in 2K. We have something that'll bump it up to 4K. We can batch a whole yeah. set. Damn. Um, Those uh, classes went a long way for you. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I actually, uh, we went to see Black Panther, and I saw my teacher at that class. Yeah. He, I was like, you'll never believe it. I'm actually doing <laughs> something with your class. Uh, just do the power of, of Google and literally beating your head against the wall. You figured out how to program and build a pipeline for an entire team, which, I mean, not to brag, but we went from building one or two products a day to potentially building like eight or nine products a day mm-hmm. by having yeah. proper tools and a proper uh, a proper like modular workflow, right? Nice. That was one of the, the, the huge pitches that we always made was that in theory every material we build should increase our speed on the next one at some level, right? So we mm-hmm. should always be building on ourselves. If we're, we build a plain wood material, we should be able to take that and turn it into a wood floor very easily. Mm-hmm. Totally. 
And that was the case, but because we were using Photoshop in that time, yeah. it was not always like the ideal workflow. It was like, you know, kind of a pain in the butt, really. You had to, it, it just wasn't easy. So, I mean, we can kind of transition to what yeah. Jan said. And, and, uh, and frankly, well, we, we don't have, we didn't have the tools, right? Yeah, so we, we could, tools, we could yeah. sit there and we could build it. But now we have, I mean, because we have, you know, going back to the tool, we have a tool that can do it for us. We could literally, like for these, it sets up a template and then it feeds all of the bitmaps through the template. And now we've got a completely two, a completely new kind of procedural like material. So tell you know, me what this is like right now, because sure. materials and texturing is still an area that, you know, it's like once you know it, you know it. But people who don't know it, it's still like that's a unicorn land. That's it can be <laughs> crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you explain um, a little bit about what this is? We were earlier talking about Photoshop and, and just doing dealing with Photoshop textures, but you guys are doing to something totally different. And I'm sure PBR kind of changed, you know, the, the whole landscape for you. PBR, PBR yeah. changed the world. Yeah, it really did. I was like, man, I never have to manually paint a highlight again. <laughs> it's it's just there. Yeah, uh, changed, changed <laughs> the world, and it also it also was very important because it gave us standards to work from. Mm. Or PBR, there was no standards. There was nothing. It was just, you know, this looks good, ship it. So yeah, PBR changed everything. And we were the first texture library, material library, by, what, like three years to have any sort of PBR. And we did that all by hand. We opened up all of our old Photoshop files, processed, converted every single wow. texture that we ever made into wow. a physically-based version of itself. Converting albedos, all that stuff? Yep. Yep, that's that that elbow grease we were talking about, where where you just put your head down and open up Photoshop files and go. The previous models for this were built on like were built on basically diffuse and specular, right? Yeah, yeah, and it was all it was very touch and go. Right, and so those were approximations, and they were I mean, God, they were written probably what like fifteen, twenty, I can't remember now. Tw they were written a yeah. long ass time ago. All those calculations are written a long time ago. Yeah, and so now. The primary thing is, and you know, this will all change later because all we're doing is we're working with models that help us get closer to, you know, in uh, theoretical or mathematical models, really, that help us get closer to Correct. representation. So normal roughness, all of that could change, but right now, this is, you know, probably the best that we have. Right. It could right. change, and we think it will change, but kind of, I think it'll continue to divide to divide within this system. It's going to okay. continue to change within within this paradigm where we're defining these key aspects of what a material is. And I think that what's going to happen is, and we've already seen some of this, is that they're going to kind of start to split away these more simplified materials like specularity and metalness, for instance, right. and split that into a few different textures to get more accurate results. So I think that this is, this is a system that's going to be here for a little while. But I do expect for it to continue to sort of subdivide within itself as as it goes, which yeah. is great for us. And I mean, the real nice thing about PBR is that the maps that we're defining are finally now based on physics, right? Right. So it's based on what's actually what, how light works on a surface, you know, as opposed to as you mentioned, the old method of specular is essentially we're like, hey paint here to make it shiny you know add <laughs> yeah right. yeah i mean that, that was it right like add more yeah. specular and add more white here to make the surface shinier and shinier mm -hmm. and it's not even a reflection you're just like making it shiny with the system it's actually hey this is we want to define 
how rough the surface is, whether the light gets reflected when it hits it or the light gets diffused or etc. So tell me now it, uh, at uh, gametextures.com, what's the product that's being sold now? Substance files, mm-hmm. textures, like what's the product that's there? Uh, right now it's, it's so on Game Textures 2, this is our second iteration of Game Textures. It's yep. kind of a mess. It represents, I'll say, three distinct eras of texturing technology, which is everything from pre-PBR to PBR to procedural. And man, we even have, we even have like photogrammetry stuff in there. So we'll say there's four different distinct yep. Texturing technologies happening right now. Yeah, and then right. even and even in the PBR, we we've, we've split from you know. There's some that are just PBR spec gloss, and then there's some that are PBR metallic roughness yeah. and spec gloss. So it's kind of a mess. It's kind of a mess, and that's kind of that's to be expected, right? We we were kind of building all of these products before all of these technologies came along, and mm-hmm. then we were always quick to adapt to new technologies. So what what Arvin's working on right now, and what we're working on right now, is this total overhaul of every single product in our library to convert each and every single one of them to a physically based substance which uses that materializer program that he just had up which is our pipeline tool materializer is what it's called right basically we're, we're shipping multiple material types now so yeah, for different yeah. engines okay so, so we use we use substance to generate i don't know you can tell arvin like 16 or 17 different texture types at this point Right. So now instead of before we just ship PBR metallic, PBR spec and substance, that's currently what, you know, I'd say 90 percent of the materials on the on the on the site have have, you know, in this new iteration, we're shipping specific types for specific render engines. So when the, the new site launches, which hopefully will be sooner than later, we'll have substances and we'll have textures, but we'll also have something that say, hey, this is a redshift material or hey, this is an octane material. Mm. This is a, a cycles material. Right. And it would be an instant import to pull in and apply that texture. And that's why yes. you had to kind of build your own side of it so that somebody could come to the site. So basically, tell me if I'm correct. Somebody comes to the site, gametextures.com, and uh, let's say they're V-Ray. And they see that texture. So if they were to export, some, if you pull something like that right now, there might be differences because the map's not. They would essentially have to hack it together to make it work right. inside of V-Ray. All of our stuff works really well inside of Unreal Engine or mm-hmm. whatever, UDK Unity. or Unity. Yeah. But if you wanted V-Ray, you'd have to hack it together. So what we did was we built a system which spits out those exact the texture system. maps that V-Ray requires so that a user can just come and be like, oh, cool, I want the V-Ray version of this and plug in whatever, diffuse to diffuse, reflection to reflection, F0 to F0, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. The specific maps, and then you know, just eliminate that whole part of the process for them. Yeah, and the hope is eventually. I mean, we're starting off with a few supported engines, but eventually, the idea is you wouldn't even have to put it together yourself. There's a file that you just download, and you say import, and when you import that file, it assembles the material for you. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It's kind of this this methodology we're looking at right now is the. The game industry specifically is transitioning away from the actual creation of materials in a lot of ways. There's a lot of people that are doing it, but with implementation of new technology like Substance Painter, mm-hmm. the real push is to eliminate the whole like technical part of material creation. And that's not to say you shouldn't learn it because you absolutely should learn what this is. Mm-hmm. So our goal is to help those people that don't want to or are not interested in creating their own materials and make those who are work a little bit faster, right? Because you don't need to make a different whatever. You don't need to make a thousand different bricks for yourself. You don't need to make a thousand different concretes for yourself. It's just right. not necessary as an artist at this day and age. So. Right, or even say, uh, 
a concept artist in ZBrush. I know I have a couple of concept artist friends that recently they're they're working in full 3D now. They'll do go into ZBrush, then they'll hit export the key shot, right? They don't really want to have to sit there and construct the metal. They just want to like, hey, here's the metal that I want. It's, you know, it mm-hmm. looks like old rusted steel. And they just drag and drop it to that section. And so people yeah. can kind of focus on what they're good at and what they want to do. Yeah. Like a character artist, you don't really want to, because obviously I did ZBrush Workshop. So I actually started off, I, I wanted to be a character artist. That was my thing. That was my jam. Yeah. Right. But eventually you're like, as if you're working on a character, you're like, man, I don't want to stop working on my character. So I can build 12 materials so I can slap them on this character and then figure out something is wrong or something doesn't look right Mm. and have to go back and remake it. Right. Let me just slap some stuff on there, see if it looks right. And then if I need to, I can tweak it. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mostly what we're concerned about is making sure that we understand where the industry is going (laughs) as far as as far as production. Right. And I'm guessing all of these people in this chat will be involved in production at some point in the near future. And you're seeing uh, and uh, Substance Painter as kind of the big play or something I see like it that. As, I see it as, as a massive play, absolutely. The amount of products that studios are making now, like textures, I'm sorry, materials that studios are making now for themselves is just at the absolute bottom of the well. Like, like you don't need to use things. They use services like us. They use services like Substance Source, right? Mm-hmm. Like they don't need to be spending time on all of these products. And what matters to a studio is production speed. So if you can say, hey, this, whatever this, let's just, I saw people talking about it earlier, AK-47 material. Mm-hmm. This AK-47 model is going to take five materials. We need a plastic, we need a wood, we need metal, we need a rusty metal. Those are six different assets or five different assets you need to build in order just to build a single prop. Right. And you don't have to be a mathematician to take away what kind of production value that looks like. Like it's, it's a lot of work and, you know, ex- extrapolate that to an entire game itself or an entire, entire scene or entire movie. And all of a sudden you're spending tens of thousands of man hours building materials and building these things that aren't necessarily the best use of your time. If you could tell me, Hey, you could build 30 props, you could build one prop and six materials in the same amount of time. What would you pick right. from a production standpoint? So I think that it's important to understand what materials look like and what all of this looks like. And, you know, if you're, if you're, your heart is really into creating materials, get into it because it's awesome. I mean, it's, it's really one of the funnest things you could do as far as production though. I think that painter is where it's at moving forward. Yeah. One of the, one of the great things about painter is now you're just, you're stacking materials, right? Right. As opposed to beforehand where you're literally painting in every single channel to make sure every channel is correct. Right. I remember before, you know, I was working in, and this was even in DDoO. Right. I was working in, in DDoO mm-hmm. and I pull in the, you know, the channels and you could kind of somewhat layer materials like in DDoO 1, right? You could somewhat, you know, layer materials and do some procedural techniques on them. But at the end of the day, you know, I'd still come in and I'd still, you know, do some, some manual painting on stuff. With, yeah. with Painter, the idea is you're like, hey, this is, you know, this is metal, this is steel, this is plastic. And you just literally, one of our coworkers, he's like, it's, it's literally like paint by number. I'm <laughs> just like, metal rust you know whatever then just mask everything out you're you're solid yeah what do you think are some of the key things people need to master inside a substance painter because but i'm i'm seeing jan's note down here saying that if you can master designer painter is really not that big of a deal but then there are things inside of painter that you have to know like using generators or using masks or painting putting a paint layer on to paint things out you know what are the things that you think are really important inside a painter that just are core I can handle it from an existential standpoint and Arv can probably get into the technical part of it, but 
our job as a texture artist and building texture is only to give context to a world and give context to an environment. So from a very top-down perspective, you should be looking at using, being able to tell a story with your tools and the tools that you have and using mm-hmm. Substance Painter to broadcast a story, you know. Nobody wants just a metal, whatever, a stop sign, right? That's not interesting. People do want to see like a stop sign with bullet holes, right? If you're using Substance Painter, your focus can't all just be on generators and can't be on using the procedural elements of it. You still have to be very focused on building a story around everything that you texture and and making it give context to a world or a scene. And yeah. What's the couple of things that people really need to know in Substance? I would say in in Painter, right, the, the main thing is, you know, and I, I actually, I see this in student work, is the thing people need to start doing is when they start, what I initially see is they heavy hand a lot of detail, right? As Sanders tell, saying, you're trying to tell a story, right? And when you heavy hand a detail, it's kind of like, you know, if you're telling a story, it's like, you know, if I was telling Jack and the Beanstalk, it'd be like, what's upon time, there's a boy named Jack, and then the giant fell down to Beanstalk, and because he chopped it down, and he got to go to Goose the end. Right. And, and that's kind of that's kind of what happens when you heavy hand a texture. Right. When you when you heavy hand a texture, it's like you put like, hey, here's here's the steel. Right. And then the thing that everybody always does is they're just like slap a rust on there. Right. And the rust is thick and it's just like at random places. And you're like, well, you know, it's cool yeah. that you put, you know, rust on top of the steel. But you really kind of made that kind of a little too heavy-handed right it, it kind of hurts so so you know the the idea is subtle layers right that's that's kind of what what i tend to say is hey a lot of subtle layers goes a long way the kind of balance that i try to to explain is if you're putting it in a lot of places just as a general rule right if you're spreading it over a lot of places thin out your opacity don't make it so thick mm-hmm. if you're making it thick then make it gather to specific places and don't make it go everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. I think the thing that people really need to master if you're just talking painter is that sense of balance, right? If you can get that balance of mm-hmm. adding subtle layers of detail without just wanting to like be very harsh with it, I think you get a nice, even, good-looking mm-hmm. piece. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised we both took the artistic route there because I, you know, I, I totally agree with you. Subtlety is the artist's best friend. And I had a great teacher in school in like 2009 who explained to me one way to think about what you're creating with the texture is essentially you have this opportunity to reward your viewers with what you're building, with art in general, right? It's this opportunity to reward somebody for stopping and taking a look, a more detailed look, a second look, a third look, and saying like, hey, wow, that's really nice that somebody put in that extra little detail it's subtle and i never would have saw it Mm. if i didn't stop and take a look at it and that's really one of the key principles to video game art in general is it's really easy to make a generic world but it's not easy to make a world that's going to make people stop and say hey these people really put that extra thought in there and sometimes that's just a single detail right sometimes it's just a little thing little broken nail or whatever a chip brick or something like that it's just a little thing that can make all the difference in the world I love that. That's, so there's two uh, concepts there, guys, that I think are really important for us to get. And one of them is the idea of being heavy handed, which is like the cliff note version of the story, which, you know, it doesn't have all the details. And then the other one that Tanner was talking about was this idea of rewarding people for spending time on your work, in your work. Right. And, and that's the, 
that's the devil in the details. But I think that's a fantastic way for us to look at that because, you know, everybody here is grinding on their models. And we as artists, we might be thinking, all right, shit, I'm not fast enough. I, it doesn't look good enough. I should be, you know, we have all these expectations, all this crap and baggage. But really, this is a great way of looking at it, which is if you're going to tell a story, tell a story, do it right. Tell the whole story, the story. and reward oh, yeah. people for listening, for taking the time. That's a great way to, to phrase all that. It's a nice thank you to the viewer. And that's yeah. that's what we're doing, right? Is we're building art for viewers. And whether whether it's just a video game, whatever, AK-47, or you're building like a crazy orc model or something like that, mm -hmm. spending that extra time to put in that extra detail is... And not even it doesn't even have to be a big detail, right? That's That's what makes art so interesting, is that you can really make it rewarding to look at and make it really inspiring to others with just very simple touches. Yeah. You'll notice, you know, on, to add to that, you'll notice uh, a lot of experienced texture artists, if you post your work, their comments will be regarding really small details. They'll be like, hey, I really love the way you added a small little chip in that corner. Yeah. Or I love the way yeah. that in this particular spot, the moss gathers. And when you don't know what to look for, you initially look at in the world are they talking about why are they paying attention to that but that's kind of where it leads i feel like yeah oh it's, it's easy to make a brick wall i mean that's the thing right all of this technology makes it really easy to build a brick wall and this is what we've always said right is that you can build a brick wall it'll look like a brick wall how are you going to make it look like art right at what point does building something procedurally still maintain its artistry mm. and how do we do that as a texture artist and I reference this a lot is uh, the guys who work on Uncharted. I'm sure everybody here has played Uncharted, right? They got very famous for their style. This like, what do you call it, Arvin? Like real? Hyper real, yes. The hyper realistic 3D style where they're building these realistic textures, but they're employing artistic principles of composition and color theory and balance and, you know, rewarding the, the viewer and using layers to build these very rewarding pieces of art that are still realistic and still procedurally based, but they're using their their past experience in art and understanding of art concepts in general to make them that much better. All right, well, why don't we open this up to a couple of questions, and I think we got a few. Uh, Samantha's got one, so some of these questions um, relate, some don't, so let's see. So Samantha, Samantha's asking, so do you go out and take pictures for textures or scan or spend time with real textures? Do you make notes about how they feel? If you do make notes, what kind of things would you list about a texture? It's a cool question. That is a cool question. Yeah. But I don't think there is an incorrect way to build a material. Every tool you have should be used as a tool to your advantage. So, yeah, we scan stuff. We have people scanning whatever rocks and bricks and dirt. And we have people building leaves and all of these different things. And then we put them together in a texture. Do you make notes on how it feels and so on? I don't know. I, I mostly take pictures with my iPhone. Yeah. And just try to be conscientious of what's around me and try to remember these little stories. One thing I, I noticed, we, we got to go out, out of town one uh, one weekend. He only lets uh, you out uh, once cool. one weekend? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really all I get. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the time I'm building this stuff. <laughs> no, uh, I, we, my family uh, recently went out of town and we, yeah. uh, we, we got this little lake house. And the thing I can say is say to that is that there is a stark difference between looking at a picture, right? No matter what resolution mm. it is, mm -hmm. so actually look at the thing in real life. I saw this tree and it just had, it was you know, an older tree, a wider tree, and there was like layers of moss on it. 
and I really looked at the moss and I was like, oh, okay, that's what moss looks like. As opposed to getting a picture, no matter how close or far it is, it just doesn't really do it justice. Now, I, I don't mean don't take a picture. Definitely take a picture. But there is an incredible value to actually seeing it in real life and making some at least mental notes, right, about what it looks like. I mean, I don't know if I've ever really looked at it, thought about how it made me feel, although I, I mean, I was conscious of it. I mean, I, I mean, it makes me feel very sure. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was. I mean, there's, there's, there's this moment of awe when you first look at it, right? Because I mean, you're really yeah. looking yeah. at it. For, you know, you're, you're really looking at it. You're like, wow, that's, that's what I've been kind of trying to recreate, or that's what that picture was trying to describe, mm-hmm. and it doesn't quite do it justice to actually when you actually look at it. So it's right. kind of cool in that sense. I think there's value in being outside, and a value in finding those materials by yourself and seeing them with your own eyes and just thinking about them. I don't, I don't know that I've ever take, taken notes with a notebook Touching or anything like that. But like, them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Smelling them. All of the... All right. Jan's, Jan's got a couple questions. Uh, open it. Okay. So he's asking, um, would you use procedurals and uh, would you use, there is, I'm a little confused by your question, Jan, but basically if you're using procedurals, do you use Photoshop to give it some umph? And we were talking about this earlier, like what role does Photoshop even have in this equation now? I think that Photoshop is extremely important. It depends on what you're going into and mm-hmm. what kind of field you're going into and what you're looking at. But if you don't know how to use Photoshop, you're going to stumble in some cases. It can't be overstated that procedural is a technology of, of the future, but you can't do everything with it. You can't. I mean, this is a great example. One of our artists was making like a WD-40 or a can of spray paint, rather, right? And mm-hmm. he modeled it all out and did all this stuff with procedural stuff, but he still needed to build a label, right? <laughs> he still needed to He still needed to understand how to use Photoshop and still needed to understand all of these things. So I think that, again, it goes back to remembering that all of these things are just tools and that you should use the right tool for the right job. And there's no sense in spending whatever 16 years in substance designer building a procedural label maker when you can do it in 10 minutes in Photoshop. And again, there's no sense in spending 16 years building the perfect brick in substance designer when you can sculpt it in seven seconds in ZBrush. It's just, there's no, there's no sense. So it all comes down to understanding the technology and understanding how best to employ it in a certain Mm -hmm. situation, which is going to both speed you up and give you the quality that you're looking for. And there's some answers there, you know, there's some ways that are right and some ways that are wrong. And that's all part of just gaining experience and, and using this technology to move forward, challenging yourself. All right. Uh, Gregory's asking, the game industry makes an effort to make textures and objects aesthetically pleasing. But do you see in horror games, for example, a market for aesthetically unnerving materials, imagery that causes discomfort? Like how much is it aesthetic? What's the example there? I actually, I follow a couple of artists on ArtStation specifically yeah. because they have creepy looking, not not materials, <laughs> but creepy sculpts. They're just, they're not even, they're not blatant. They're just, they just, you look at them and you're like, like uh, uh, Ron Muick, not, not that he's on ArtStation, but Ron Muick, I mean, you look at the stuff and I, I love his art, but you look at it and you're like, this is just weird. It makes me feel like <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. What are those disgusting eyeball things that Matt made for Halloween that one time. Oh, that's right. I needed, oh needed some creepy eyeballs. Um, yeah, I, this, those things are fun. I don't even know where those are. Yeah, I think I think there's space for that. There's there's space for things that make people feel uncomfortable. I think that's good, right? In some ways, it's more artistic that way. I think you should challenge yourself, yeah. 
if you, I, I mean, I think it, I think it speaks for what you're trying to do and it, it really depends on what you're trying to build, but challenge yourself. I think that those things are, are extremely challenging to do procedurally to build a material that creeps people out. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for sure. And you really have to get into like the psychology of what makes people scared. Like what is it? Para delialia or whatever, where you're afraid of like uh, repeating patterns, things like that. There's, oh, yeah. like, there's, like, there's like some very specific fears that you can have. Yeah. There's some very specific fears that you can have and you can exploit. And we've, we've messed with that a few times. It's actually kind of funny. And there, there's yeah. definitely like a whole genre for this. So guys like Chet Czar, who's a painter. And then there's that guy who used to live with Leonardo, uh, Leonardo uh, DiCaprio. I forget what the painter's name is. I think, I don't think he's with us anymore. Polish guy, <laughs> I think. And uh, so, you know, there's definitely a whole genre, you know, to all of that. So that's right. pretty cool. Uh, all right, let's take it. I love seeing what people can do with texture, right? It goes back to what I was saying, where you tell a story, give context to a scene. Yeah. I also am super inspired by people who can just build a texture and make me feel freaked out by it. That's like, that's impressive. Sweet. All right. Josh is asking about photogrammetry in material creation. You mentioned that you do some of that. And do you think smartphones can be used for it? Or what do you see as, as a direction for that in the future? Again, another, another tool. We tend to find photogrammetry to be very cumbersome in our production pipeline. It's, it's slow and error prone, meaning you can spend whatever, two or three hours building a photogram, photogrammatic photogrammetry material. And have it not turn out. Yeah. You know? And that's that's a high, high cost of error. So what we tend to use photogrammetry for at this point is for building specific pieces of a material. So essentially, essentially what we started doing is instead of building entire materials out of photogrammetry, we decided that it was much more cost effective for us to build individual pieces of a material out of uh, photogrammetry. So in this one you can scroll down and we have we've have these extremely high resolution scans of each leaf and stick and even going down to the mud, right? And we use those in Substance Designer to build a procedural material and layer them properly and tell a story with those assets. So I think there's value in it. For us, the cost is, uh, or not, not even the cost, it's like the the risk of it isn't worth it. You don't get you don't get this, right? You can hit randomize on this material and get an entirely different thing. You can change the color of it. You can change how much mud there is. You can make it covered in water. You can do right. all kinds of cool stuff with it. And, you know, if you're just photo doing photogrammetry, you get one version and that's it. Maybe you might not even get that. So got it. Yeah. The other thing uh, about it is it's scalable, right? So right now we're at 4k, but eventually, you know, we're going to hit 8k, we're going to hit 12k mm-hmm. and a 16k or whatever else. Right. And uh, that's, that's the nice thing is when you're just sampling portions, then all you do is you just expand your sample as opposed to if you captured the whole material, right? Like each of these leaves are probably coming in at maybe at least 2K, right? So that means, hey, we could, we could essentially scale up the sampling size of the texture procedurally to 16K and not lose resolution. So it makes, so, it, makes it scalable. So every tool, every tool has its position again, and that's, that's kind of how we look at our pipeline is by making sure that we're building these things once really well Edison's asking about adding some style, some stylizing to substance designer, you know, making it look more like a traditional painting or adding some element of that to it. That's <laughs> actually when I first started substance designer, that was all I did. Oh, uh, yeah. All I did was, yeah, yeah, I was I was trying to push it to see how much stylized looks I could get out of it. So the 
Short answer is yes, it's possible. The long answer is I don't know how useful it is to build it that way. Mm -hmm. There's definitely some use to it, meaning you know you could possibly take layers of a material, paint it in Photoshop, right? Sculpt stuff in ZBrush, paint it in Photoshop, and then kind of stack it all together in Designer, or even use some procedural methods for painting on top of your painting, or maybe procedurally add moss or procedurally add you know pebbles on certain sections of it. Designer isn't tailored for that workflow, but it can do it. It can do it. It is possible. I just don't know if I would say it's the most efficient way to do it. Well, it's kind of where we get back into using the right tool for the right job, right? And in the end, can Substance Designer, I mean, it's great, but can it really compete with doing a real stylized sculpt in ZBrush? Right, right, exactly. The same at the same speed and get the same quality. Or hand right, painted exactly. uh, texture in, in 3D coat, for example. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Using exactly. the right tool for the right job and making sure that you're thinking about your project before you start it and you're not trying to, you know, fit a fit a sphere into a square hole, right? Yep. All right, guys, I think that's about all the questions. I don't think I missed anything, but if I did, where I post this, which will be in the guild, we actually might post this in the studio so everybody there has the benefit and then we'll turn this into a podcast later. But for those of you who are here, I'll make sure that you guys get the link uh, uh, today, if not early tomorrow. And if you got any questions, you can post them in there, and then we can uh, navigate it from there. And thank also, you yeah, to be ahead. fair, you can feel you can feel free to email Arvin and myself. It's part of our entire ethos as a company is to be responsive and respond and help where we can. Yeah. So I'm Tanner at GameTextures.com, Arvin at GameTextures.com. We are happy to respond and help you, give you feedback, critiques, to do what we can. So if you want to ask questions, specific questions, go nuts. We're happy to help. Tanner, Arvin, man, thank you guys so much. This is one of my favorite sessions. We got to really dive in and, uh, and not, not just fun. like, you know, talk about somebody's work, but we got to like, talk about the whole spectrum. I really appreciate that. It was fun. It was a ton of fun. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, it's, uh, thanks, it's nice to be here. All right, yeah. head over to gametextures.com. That's where you guys can find them. You got the email addresses in chat if you're here yeah. watching chat. Yeah. And we have a we have a free membership too. So for, it's great for students. Great for students. If you don't want to spend money, come on over. Do what you need to do. <laughs> Sounds good. All yeah. right. Take care of yourselves. Thank you again, guys. It was absolutely amazing. All right, thank you. you. Take care, guys. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. It really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.